Hey, welcome to the Afikra podcast. My name is Mikey Mahenna. Today we have another episode in our Matwakh series, and our special guest is world-renowned chef, restaurateur, and cookbook author, Sami Tamimi. We talk about his latest book, Palestine, as well as his collaboration with Otelenki and growing up in Palestine and becoming a chef. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I hope you subscribe to our YouTube page as well as our podcast. Thanks so much. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of Matbakh. We are honored to have our special guest. Sami Tamimi is the co-founder, uh, is the co-owner of six delis and restaurants in London. Sami is also the co-author of several best-selling uh, cookbooks, including Otolenghi, Jerusalem, and Palestine. Sami has won several awards, such as the International Award and Best Cookbook, the James Beard Award, Cookery Book Award, Fortin and Mason Food Award, and the Dunn Gifford Award for Jerusalem. Sami, welcome to Afikra Matbakh. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks it's, for having me. Of course. It's such an honor to have you. Thank you. So, Sami, I want to ask you a question, um, which I like to start with. I want to go back to your childhood. So uh, you were born and raised in Palestine. And I'm curious, when you think about Palestine, that you, the Palestine that you grew up in, in the 70s and 80s, what are the, the first couple sort of emotional memories that come to mind, the imagery? Like, what do you actually remember of this place that you grew up in? Um, not not a, a so much divided place as nowadays. Um, uh, it was a kind of um, uh, divided in a way that um, there is a Palestinian side and the Israeli side, and nowadays it's all kind of uh, uh, kind of mashed up. And uh, when you go back after so many years, you just realize how much the place changed. But for me, it's it's all about you know going to the to the markets and the the the, the, the smell of coffee with with hail, which is cardamom. Uh, people selling all sort of seasonal things. I mean, we we have. Uh, uh, ladies or women from from the village at nearby villages bringing their produce and selling it in the market. Kaikil uh, oats, which is uh, sesame bread, uh, definitely one of them. Um, and I will always, after I left Jerusalem, when whenever I went to um, visit, I would buy one and just kind of snack on it while I'm just wandering the market. Um, there was also um, a meat market, a uh, spice market, um, a leather market. So yeah, on and on. And all that is disappearing because of the whole kind of uh, division uh, between uh, Jewish and, and, uh, and Arabs. And yeah. the Arabs, you know, Muslims and Christians. When did you know you wanted to be a chef? Um, how does that happen? Yeah, it started in Jerusalem. I um, I went to my dad and I just said, look, uh, I really want to buy a bike. And he just said to me, look, summer holidays coming uh, now and you can just go out and earn some pocket money and buy it. So I went yeah. to this hotel in West Jerusalem and um, asked for a job. And they said, well, if you can wash dishes, then you can start tomorrow. And I went there. And uh, this is where the whole thing started. I was 16 or 17. Then I had 
cooking was not something that I kind of thought um, I would do for the rest of my life. Uh, but it, at the same time, it opened this new world to me because it's not like the kitchen that I'm used to at home where my mom and aunties cook. It's uh, a much bigger scale. Uh, people have different responsibilities. And at the end, they do this a banquet or, a, you know, serve a large amount of people. I neglected my washing, uh, the dishes, <laughs> and I started following people just to kind of uh, gasp and just understand what's going on. And the head chef saw these little skinny guys thinking, uh, there's something about him. Let's just give him a little job. And this is how the whole thing started. Yeah. Uh, I'm a self-taught chef. And uh, after I left, uh, I mean, three or four months, I think, after I started uh, in the hotel, I was already in charge of the, the breakfast um, in the hotel where I used to get up at three o'clock in the morning and yeah. go, you know, on a, on a bike. It wasn't, luckily, it wasn't far from home. And uh, do, you know, a buffet for 200 people. I, I mean, I remember scrambling eggs for like 150 people. And um, this is how, uh, you know, me yeah. being kind of a chef started. And then I wanted to know more. I mean, uh, as uh, a Palestinian or Middle Eastern uh, guy, you don't get the opportunity to uh, go into the kitchen. It's very much uh, a trade that passed from uh, one generation to another uh, by women. So yeah. it wasn't a place for a man. And I wanted to know more about this whole kind of uh, concept of eat, uh, um, cooking and feeding people for such a big scale. So I went uh, in Jerusalem. I uh, worked in different places just to be able to learn as much. Um, were, you, were you drawn to the, were you immediately drawn to the business side of it or were you drawn to the, the taste? No, the, the, to, the, uh, to the cooking more than the business. I wanted to learn how to uh, cook different cuisines. Um, and I, in a way, I always kind of had in my mind that uh, Palestinian or Middle Eastern food is something that I knew already. So I kind of kept it on the uh, to the kind of to the back or to put it on a, on a side yeah. and uh, wanted to know more about different cuisines than, you know, the, the food that I grew up on eating and enjoying. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked my way, you know, for working from uh, a French restaurant to a, a vegan Indian restaurants to a Yemeni to, uh, I worked with a, 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 a an elderly couple from Iraq, Jewish Iraqi, that did uh, wonderful uh, different kibbehs from potatoes and sometimes mm. it was from rice. Um, interesting. Yeah, so it was quite interesting. So I want to talk about the decision to move to London in 97. Yeah. Um, was that something you had been planning for a long time and you just caught your big break or did it come out of left field and then all of a sudden you, you said, I guess I'm moving to London? No, I lived in I lived in uh, Tel Aviv then, and I worked. I mean, I lived in Tel Aviv for twelve years, and uh, I didn't have any uh, uh, Palestinian friends in Tel Aviv. But I all my Palestinian friends were in Jerusalem, 
And it was um, the second intifada when, you know, a lot of buses were bombed in mm-hmm. central Tel Aviv. And as a Palestinian among Israelis, I felt a little bit kind of weird. I mean, uh, I, nobody showed any kind of signs of uh, oh, you're an Arab or but I just felt like it's uh, this is not the place for me anymore. So uh, that one side of it, the, the other side is uh, uh f- um professionally food wise i i got to a limit i mean i worked in the best two restaurants in tel aviv uh, in the 90s and there was no uh forward for me or kind of just kind of where do i go from here i can't open yeah. my own place i'm palestinian and if i stay in tel aviv um, it's going to be a hell and if I go back to Jerusalem, then I think for me, it's just kind of going back, you know, yeah. to something that I, I already started on to go back. Uh, so te- uh, um, London was a choice because I met this lady that came to the restaurant that I was a head chef and she loved the food and she wanted to meet the, the chef. And I was already talking about moving to, to London and she's from London and she just said, look, whenever you come, you have a job. So I kind of, it was kind of another push for me to, to move to London. Okay. So once you start, you know, you meet just, I'm, I'm trying to uh, understand some of the, the chronology. So you meet Yotam uh, Otolenghi and you guys start this empire of, uh, of uh, delis that are extremely successful. So yeah. that is my uh, reduced understanding of what happened. Instant success. Snap your fingers. All of a sudden, empire. Empire yeah. presto. What is the actual reality of it? Uh, I think timing was a big, the main thing, really. Timing of uh, um, the the opening, the first Otelengi, because we up, we offered something that didn't even exist anywhere in the world. And we wa- we wanted to kind of heavy on vegetables and textures and colors, and the backdrop was white, which is um, it was kind of deliberate. And you walk in, I mean, from outside, you don't see much unless you know you kind of look into the window. But the the minute you walk in, ev- everything is so colorful and it's so big, and this is what you kind of withdraw to. Um, and it's a little bit kind of uh, like going to the market and you see piles of kind of different mm-hmm. fruits and dried food and nuts. And this is what we wanted to do. The area that we opened the first Otolenghi was uh, uh, still kind of young, slightly wealthy, and it just worked instantly. Yeah. So w- if you were to describe... Um one of the biggest mistakes that you made in those early years, um, business mistakes that you made in those early years that was a, uh, that you learned a really good lesson from, what are some of those mistakes where you're like, yeah, this one, we turned left, we should have turned right. We fixed it eventually, but that was a huge mistake. Yeah, a few years back, we opened, uh, we decided that we can open a, um, a fast food uh, what we we thought is going to be so successful that we're going to do a chain uh, of um, shawarma and falafel and something that we never kind of touch on. Um, and it's just backfired on us. Yeah. 
it's just really i mean we invested a lot of money into you know doing it it was in a good location in um, in london um but it was also out of our comfort zone and it was a total failure um yeah you think it's a it's a timing thing or it's just a uh like a i think it's issue a, or i think um uh we um, now we kind of realize that we should have just stuck to what we know better mm-hmm. and keep going with that uh although the restaurants that we opened are kind of slightly different from the the kind of rutulengi uh, uh concept uh but it was a safe kind of venture where the fast food was a total kind of uh, new bird for us yeah and it just didn't work yeah okay you live and learn um okay i want to ask you a question about uh something i, I mentioned this to you before we started the call um i'm always curious if chefs uh approach to cooking changes over decades and if you look at a recipe that you used to love to cook in the 90s and say oh my god that's so 90s of me i could never cook that that recipe or that's that's so 97 yeah i'd never do that are there yeah. is that true uh you do you, you do do um, a whole circle of you know cooking is uh, for me at least as uh, you know personally it evolves all the time and you know you you can't just pinpoint it and just get stuck in that uh this is part of um, uh, the whole idea of our you know our businesses are so successful because we keep inventing things and trying to um uh not play but kind of just we, we you know as as a customer and as a, a, a food kind of establishment, you get bored of things, so you just have to keep uh, inventing yourself or just introducing new things. So it could yeah. be also influenced by you know people that work for you, different chefs, younger chefs, uh, travel uh, works kind of play a big part in that. Um, but. Uh, there are a lot of dishes that I don't cook now. I mean, the, when we started the Tlengi, I look at the Dotalengi cookbook, uh, and there's there are quite a lot of things that did stay and got a revamp and you know uh, updated. But uh, a lot of dishes, like I mean, everybody was obsessed with cupcakes then, and nobody makes cupcake nowadays. <laughs> and we had I don't know, can't remember four or six different cupcakes in the in the book um interesting but um yeah and also that i i mentioned it before where when i was younger i wanted to learn as much um as i can about different cuisines uh, but uh, the last probably 20 years i went back to palestinian cooking which yeah. is something that um, uh, i kind of neglected but now I'm feeling, I feel very comfortable that, you know, I brought it back. Yeah. Okay. So before we get to Philistine, uh, the book, I want to talk about uh, Jerusalem. Um, I'm curious about what you discovered in the, the process of writing Jerusalem. When uh, our friend Noam um, mentioned, oh, he came up with the idea that we do uh, Jerusalem, 
I, I, I mean, both of us, we said, no way. I mean, we're, I mean, we're not going back. We left so many years back. And uh, if you know, um, growing up in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a very heavy place. It's like, you know, all the history and all the conflict and everything kind of, you feel like it's sitting on your shoulders. Um, and I remember saying to Yotam, okay, so I have a, like a huge list of, uh, recipes that I can contribute to the, the book where your part comes from I mean where where is it wh- why are you gonna contribute to it and I remember we sat here in my kitchen uh one one afternoon and we started making list of you know all the dishes that we mm-hmm. potentially can put in the book and we actually realized that we have a lot in common in you know we have almost the same experiences in where you know Yotam would go to the old city and have sahlab or yeah. you know they, they they go to this fish restaurant in east jerusalem with the, the family and they will always go down to the old city and have um, so yeah a lot of these things that came up um are kind of yeah what um we thought it's a it's a good thing to include in the book yeah did you um did you feel uncomfortable with the enormous reaction to the book i mean uh afterwards sort of you know like it almost you know it almost puts you in a position where you're not only writing a cookbook and you're not just a chef and a restaurateur all of a sudden you're a symbol yeah i mean what what people don't realize i mean or, or then didn't realize is that uh, we worked together for 10 years before Jerusalem came out. And uh, people that know both of us, we never talk about politics. It's not something that we kind of discuss between us. We will mention something, but we don't kind of venture into, um, because I think we both kind of um, agree, agree without agreeing. You know, you don't have to kind of say, um, I mean, we are mm-hmm. both kind of left because different reason, but uh, uh, I don't want to talk uh, for Yotam, but he's not very happy with what was happening there. And this is why he left. I left because I just don't want to be treated like a third class citizen yeah. in my own country. Uh, that one side, but also I wanted to, um, I was very ambitious and I wanted to kind of do something with myself um instead of just you know doing like just my family which is you know it's kind of pretty much clear you you get married and then get kids and and you get a any job and just do it amazing okay i want to get to the single ingredient that you chose so as part of the matbakh series we ask every guest to choose a single ingredient or a technique or recipe and you chose laban yeah why are you so interested in laban why did you choose laban I think Laban is a very important uh, ingredient in uh, Palestinian and Middle Eastern or even, you know, the whole Arab world. Uh, It's something that, uh, I mean, for me, making cheese and making yogurt is is so fascinating. And I mean, the French took it to a different kind of level. But um, we always had Laban at home. My mom used to make her own Laban. And I remember this big um, uh, glass jar that she used to uh, cover with a towel and then two blankets. And uh, it was a whole richer. But 
Laban went into a lot of dishes and, you know, you, you, when we were sick, she used to give us Laban. We used, uh, she cooks with it with mashi or um, add it to a salad or, you know, they, they make also the Labani and the, 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 the Nabulsi cheese. So it, it, it's very, very versatile. And for me personally, I mean, I add yogurt to everything. I mean, I one joke that I would add yogurt to yogurt because it's just it's something that uh, bring a lot of comfort for me, first of all. And secondly, um, I think uh, like like at Hine, it can go into a lot of dishes and mm-hmm. it's a very, very important uh, component in our cuisine. Amazing. Okay, so let's do the quick, uh, the rapid fire questions, and then we're going to open it up to the audience. Okay, um, cool. So the first question is, what are you reading or watching right now? Okay, so I bought this book uh, recently. It's about um, Baghdad or um, uh, Iraqi cookbook from the 13th century, what they used to call the golden age of the Arabs. And it's very, very interesting because um, somebody documented all these recipes. They're not kind of proper recipes. They would just kind of say, take tomatoes, grate them, add fat, add, add um, this spice and that spice. And I'm, I'm very curious about that. And I yeah. want to try some of these recipes. Because of all the conflicts in the Middle East, I... I start to kind of uh, wondering where everything comes from and where this dish started. And this is a good reference for it, which is, you know, you guys, if you're looking yeah. to something in Arabic. Okay. Um, who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? God, um, that's very tricky. I met um, Anthony Bodin once yeah. in New York and we had a drink together um but i felt i left feeling that i didn't know him so well and if i could kind of turn back time i would just love to spend with him a week yeah uh, just kind of chatting and you know yeah i think he's such a fascinating person always Okay, uh, what is your guilty pleasure midnight food choice? You open up the fridge, it's at midnight, you're hungry. What's your guilty pleasure? Um, or pick cheese, up the telephone. Cheese and ice cream. At the same time? No, no. I, I would probably start <laughs> with cheese and then go for the ice cream. So um, what, what type of cheese and what type of ice cream? It needs to be a good cheese. I mean, I... I tend to go for not hard cheese so something like pecorino or goat cheese or and mm. i i always have crackers so it's just kind of this is a good nice and snack. flavor of ice cream if you want uh, i don't like chocolate so it need to be um uh vanilla or salted caramel or something with strawberry it's interesting because I've heard you said that you don't like dessert so much. So it's interesting. Even your ice cream choices are not too sweet. Look, if you put a plate of knafe or balawe in front of me, I'm not going to just say, no, I'm not going to eat sure. it, of course. <laughs> but um, I, 
I don't uh, always get why people would start their day with a sweet dish like a pastry or I I always wanted I want something savory. Yeah. So I would be happy eating like a, a cheese sandwich or something to do like a, a bit fried egg and yeah. Stuff like that. Okay. Um well, Sammy, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your perspective with us. It was a real thrill to chat with you. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks, everybody, for joining. Yeah. So this will go up on the podcast in a few days. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, please do so. Leave us a comment. Let us know what we're doing well and how to get better. Um, and everyone, enjoy your day and your night wherever you are. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to watch the full uncut version, go to youtube.com slash afikra. There you can see the full video versions of these podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to afikra.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.